This is the Design Goggles podcast on BNV Radio. Checking out architecture and design is a pretty good way to keep track of how the world changes. Designers have a unique way of looking at cities, and Seattle is a city that's changing fast. More people are moving here every day, and understanding what's different and what's next has never been more important. So, put on your design goggles and join us in checking out the view. I'm Charles. I'm a designer here at Board and Vellum. I live in the Central District neighborhood and I've been a Seattleite for two years. And I'm Rachel. I'm a designer here at Board and Vellum. I live in the old Ballard neighborhood and I grew up here in Seattle. This week's show is titled Hawaiian Design. Even though Washington State is one of the closer of the 50 states to Hawaii, there is both literally and figuratively an ocean between us. Both Hawaii and the Pacific Northwest are known for their cultures, but they both have unique senses of design and community and how they work together. What can the Pacific Northwest learn from Hawaii and how can their sense of community help to unify us here in Seattle? To help answer that question and more, we are joined by Chris Parker, an architect here at Board and Vellum. Chris, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. One of the first things we ask everybody is how long you've lived in Seattle and what neighborhood you live in. I live in the Capitol Hill area, more I guess, more north Capitol Hill. And I've um, been here for two months. Have you even had time to adjust yet? Um, a little bit. You're I, probably not even up to the uh, like the time change at this point. Oh, no, I totally am. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah, I know I am. I'm, I'm up early, ready to go. And, um, you know, it hasn't been much of a transition for me. Just moving in was mostly the transition. But otherwise, like I've been here a few times. I kind of know... Seattle and generally visiting here from Hawaii and and whatnot. So it's it's been pretty smooth transition so far. Like I knew what I was getting into before coming here. I feel like a total wuss. I was like the three hours from east to west coast were destroying me for months. What is the time change? Three hours. Oh, from Hawaii. No, no, from here to Hawaii. Yeah, it's three hours. Well, it's It's only three hours. It's only three hours. But depending on the time of the year, yes. Um, We don't do um, daylight savings. So it just becomes two hours once that kicks in. So where in Hawaii did you grow up? So I grew up in Minilani. It's a small suburb, I guess you would call it, um, half an hour outside of Honolulu on the island of Oahu. Do the suburbs there have the same basic structure and scale as ours here? Is it like Monopoly House, front lawn, driveway? Um, it's a little different um, because space is limited um, and at a premium. The the size of the lots are much smaller. You're kind of just like like packed into a community but they're designed a lot like the suburbs that you'd see all over the mainland like in you know southern california i think a lot of the developers from there came to hawaii to um develop um pieces of land as well so it, this is very similar in in, in in type but the scale is just much more condensed do yeah. you just go to the beach every day <laughs> um i i want to say that I, I i i do but i don't <laughs> Yeah, I'm more of I'm more of a person that loves cities and walking through communities and getting the feel for a neighborhood more than anything else. So I didn't really find myself going to the beach every day. And so I'm a little weird when people ask me, oh, so you must go to the beach every day. Like you just asked me. And I'm just like, no, no, I, I kind of like skiing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, Rachel, being a Seattle native. You don't go hiking that often. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I used to. How much we love the mountains here in Seattle. And Rachel's like, I should get to those at some point. It's just, yeah. When I was a kid, I went all the time. But yeah, now I just appreciate them from afar and imagine that maybe one day I'll <laughs> take a day off from work and go on a walk in the woods. <laughs> 
you did not come directly from Hawaii to Seattle. You stopped in New York State for a while. Correct. Was that the first place in the contiguous 48 you moved? So the first time living away from Hawaii was during college when I lived in Southern California for a year on an exchange program. Um, and that's I was moving back to a place where I had some family and I just wanted to get out of Hawaii just for a little bit because, you know, it's an island and when you're studying architecture and want to learn different things, like you, you kind of just feel like you're still in high school when you're going to college in Hawaii. So I felt like I needed to get this out of my system, go, go and, you know, experience college in some place different. And, um, you know, that was a real good check for me, I guess, you know, going through college and figuring out what I really wanted to do. And I did figure it out there that architecture was something that I really want to stick to. So it was a very, very pivotal time. It's kind of like my mid career, mid college crisis, if you will. <laughs> um, and then my second time um, was for school as well. As part of our program, University of Hawaii, we got to do um, practicum. They're kind of like internships in a sense. Um, so I did six months in Portland, Oregon, and six months in Atlanta, Georgia. Totally the same, just identical yeah. places, you know, food, weather, man, just so homogeneous. Right. So I, I got, I got a good scope, you know, you know, but after graduation, I stayed back in Hawaii and um, was working at a local firm there doing a bunch of different projects. Um, and I decided eventually that I needed to get out again. You know, I wanted to do that, but the economy was just so bad. Um, and I found this opportunity um, and, and ended up in upstate New York, in Ithaca. It's about a five-hour drive away from the city. Yeah. So, yeah, so you may know it well, but people are like, oh, you live in New York? Oh, great. So how, like, you should come and visit me in, like, in, in Chelsea. I'm like, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, New York <laughs> That's State. That's different. Yeah. It's a big state. It's, yeah, it's and hard having, to imagine. Having lived in New York State myself for five years in Ithaca, I don't know how that transition on the East Coast with a pretty decent winter in the suburbs of Philadelphia, but it's next level <laughs> in upstate New York, like feet of snow at a time, not inches, ridiculous freezing cold weather. Like, how did you, how did you deal with that? You, you know, it's, it's weird. Everyone asks me that question. Like, yeah. why'd you move here from Hawaii? And I'm just like, I don't know. It's... I get seasons. That's amazing. Right. Um, I wanted to see different places. It's Ithaca's weather isn't as bad as say Buffalo. And for me, weather is weather. I deal with it. You know, I don't, there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> You've and, only been here for a few months. Yeah. So, <laughs> That's the sound of a man who's only been in Seattle for two months. Well, no, I'm, I'm <laughs> I know. Yeah, like, Seattle's just famous for making everyone into a weather wuss. We hit the with the weather conversation bingo. Yes, weather conversation bingo. I wish I had one of those little radio buttons. Every single uh, one of these shows, we managed to talk about weather. We didn't for one show. We did not. Oh well, we'll have to re-record it. That's right. So we've now talked about the weather. Do you feel? Are you feeling the change right now at all? Um, the weather change? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am. I'm wearing a jacket. Um, it's. I just have to adjust. Like I finally have all my clothes, so I can actually layer appropriately. Um, but I think once the rain starts coming, that's that's when I'm gonna have to start getting a little more um, strategic in my commutes. When you were in Portland, did you deal with the dark? Um, it was all yeah, I dealt with it. I was like, this is very you know crappy. Ithaca is weirdly dark too. Ithaca can be dark too, but I think Portland and Ithaca are about the same um, latitude. Really? Latitude. Yeah. Wow.
and realized that I didn't even realize until recently that Seattle is the highest latitude. Well, there's like a tiny, tiny little bit of Maine that's higher than Seattle. And that's it. I had no idea. That gives me some serious Seattle pride. Oh, yeah. Oh, and no one seems to know that because everyone looks at the flat map where like Maine just does that thing. Some terrible like Mercator projection or something. Yeah. Geographical distortion. I don't even know why that gives me pride. (laughs) Like there's really no cooler latitude than another, but like. It does. And every time I like, disagree, oh, that's right. I'm like, yeah, Seattle's well, because I think it's because our culture is so tied to, you know, the darkness in the winter. There's all these things that are the Seattle burden of darkness and <laughs> rain and everything that we kind of yeah. talk about all yeah, the time. Yeah. Hawaii's bared across like, oh, sun all the time. Yeah, oh, it's all darn. God. Oh, it's 80 degrees again. <laughs> oh. Something was occurring to me while I was doing a little bit of research uh, just about I wanted to understand what kind of connection the Pacific Northwest and Washington State had with Seattle. And I found a couple interesting facts. One was that uh, Native Hawaiians were migrating to the Pacific Northwest as early as the early 1800s. And the second was that this is kind of crazy. Half a million Washingtonians, Washington state residents, traveled to Hawaii every year, which is second only to California. Mm-hmm. And West Coast Americans in general make up a huge portion of everyone that visits Hawaii that doesn't live there. Um, and so it's interesting in that there's been this longstanding connection and I had no idea. It's not something that's ever come up in casual conversation with anyone. Even when I mention Hawaii randomly no one's like oh yeah there's a lot of Hawaiian connections here in Pacific Northwest it's not a conversation that that ever happens interesting well um it's not surprising um what a couple things you said um to your first point by native Hawaiians moving up here um when you say that do you mean like blood native Hawaiians or do you mean like people from Hawaii that live in Hawaii the article I was reading was non-specific. <laughs> okay, because that's a very big difference. Yeah, in no, Hawaii. that's a good point. You know, like people yeah. say, "Oh, yeah, I'm I'm a native Californian," or like I am, you know, native Washingtonian, or I'm from I'm a Washingtonian. Um, I'm not even sure I'm saying that right. If I do, I, <laughs> I think so. I think so, Rachel. It is a word I almost never use. <laughs> but you know, like I'm more specific. Seattleite. Seattleite. <laughs> Pacific Northwesterner. That's really the, the key uh, part is that you're Pacific true. Northwesterner. So, but, you know, to, to say that from Hawaii, it's, it's a different thing, right? When you say, oh, I'm I'm a native of, of California, you say native of Hawaii, of Hawaii, people in Hawaii would assume and think that you're, oh, you're native, like blood Hawaiian. Right. And that word means so, something really different to you. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, not all those nuances in Hawaii are very, very important and we have to sort of distinguish. And so we sort of talk about it differently. So instead of saying like native Hawaiians, like it could, the article could have possibly been, been implying um, people from Hawaii or lived living in Hawaii started like traveling up to, 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 um, to, to, to Washington and Seattle. And there's a huge contingent of people from Hawaii living here um, and all, all over the West coast. I mean, they all started moving out, west to the west coast um for a number of reasons um one is they just were just were not built to live on an island for their whole life there's people that are just not like that you know and they they want to see the world they want to go off or they they go to college on the mainland because they want to get a you know quote unquote better education um or they want to see different things um others they're just like you know we want to live in hawaii but we just can't afford it 
And so they have to make the tough decision for them and their family. Just like, you know what, we're just going to move up to the mainland because, you know, cost of living is cheaper. Yeah, I looked at it. I actually came up as well. It's not in the notes here, but it's over 30 percent higher cost of living than Seattle, even adjusted for right this minute. Yeah. When cost of living in Seattle's risen by 10 percent yeah. or so over the last 18 months. Right. I was wondering about that. Um, I don't know if you can speak to this or not, but the you hear a lot of people talking about the the sort of complicated benefit and burden of the tourism industry in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And because on the one hand, it's hugely important for the economy there, right? But on the other hand, when it's way more, when you can get way more money from renting a house to a short-term stay tourist than a long-term rent for a local resident, it's making housing costs just go even higher than they would because of the tourism coming in. And so it's this like tricky debate of, well, we need the tourism, but on the other hand, it's making it harder for us to afford our own houses. Like, do, have you heard a lot about that? Like, do you know people that are stressed out about it or can you give? <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard of that specifically. Um, it's been a while since I've actually lived in Hawaii and heard all the sort of issues regarding, you know, this specific issue. But um, from my experience, yes, Hawaii's, tourism industry is basically our sole um our sole like our, the highest part of our economy um next to military not only is um that an issue in terms of the long the short-term stay like vacation rental by owners and other other things but there's also the issue of um, us being close close to asia and that uh, we are we always have been, at least for the last 30 years, been affected by the Asian markets. First, it was Japan, then it was China, now it's Korea. And, you know, it's good. the next developing um, country in Asia is going to start coming and starting to develop and invest in Hawaii. And so we have both pressures from Asia as well as the, the mainland, as what we call it, um, for, you know, this limited number of land with, you know, great resources, weather, so on and so forth. And so I don't necessarily have an answer to your question on how we deal with that. Um, but it's definitely an issue and it's the, the cost of homes in Hawaii has been an issue for a long, long time. And one of the things my mom told me and she, she told me when I left, I'm like, she's like, you know, once, once you lose your place in Hawaii, it's going to be a hard time. It's going to be hard to get it back. And so I, I still have that stick with me thinking, like, okay, if I want to go back, it's going to be a fight. Right. It's I'm going to have to like sacrifice a lot and I'm not going to, I have to basically not give up for a long time in order to like make that happen again. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. I had no idea. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's really hard because huh. the, the market is so tight and I mean, our unemployment rate is like 2%. Everyone is employed doing something, whether it's two or three jobs in the services service industry or sector. It's you know there's still people are people are busy doing stuff. So something you you said earlier that I found really interesting when I was asking you about what the suburbs were like, and they sound incredibly dense. How does how does the development conversation go in Hawaii? Is it easy? Is it controversial? Is it news when developers buy more land and start building more housing? Are there areas that are uh, protected, contested? And what's that conversation like? And how is it different from here? 
Oh, that's a can of worms. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, people, you know, they live in Hawaii. They, whenever they hear about a, a suburban development, they, they hate it. You know, it's like, why are you paving over, f- you know, excellent and perfectly fine farmland that we're never going to get back for homes, right? And to, to who are you selling it to? That's the next question. Like, are you um, giving priority to local you know, um, to, to locals, are you giving them to whoever comes, which could be someone from the mainland just has, you know, a big bucket of cash that most people in Hawaii don't have and just going to buy it straight out. Or who might not even live there and exactly. rent it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so, and so it's sort of, we, we, we are more inclined for people to develop like apartment buildings or be more dense, but you know, people from Hawaii still want to have that, that lifestyle of having a backyard. Cause they just, you know, we still feel like, raising your kid in a community with a yard and you know, all of those tropes are an important thing. And um, so it, it's, it's very, very touchy. And there's a bunch of developments that are still happening on Oahu and other places that are just huge swaths of land that are just developing. And it's like, where are you getting the water from? You know, are you stealing it from farmland to get the water? And, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's a very tough predicament that we're in because we need more homes but we need it for more people that are in that are living in Hawaii because right. we have a lot of homes that are, that are multi generational. Mm-hmm. Like the basically, you just keep expanding on your house until you're you're at the building, you know, envelope. Right, right. And you have three families living there, and plus like an aunt and an uncle. <laughs> yeah. And you know that happens in a lot of communities, and so all of a sudden you have cars just filling up the 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 the, um, the driveways and the roads, and so it's just. This is a very, very, like, very dense environment because of that. It's interesting to hear that conversation in parallel with the one that happens in Seattle, the one we talk about uh, every other week on the show, um, where people are concerned because people are moving here from other places and they're concerned they won't appreciate it. But on objectively, people are coming here generally have jobs and people that are coming here are buying homes but spending money. And people moving to Hawaii may be buying their retirement home. It might be a place they only spend two months at where they're not going to be buying groceries 12 months a year. They're not going to be frequenting stores 12 months a year. And it's a whole nother level of worrying about people coming, taking resources and then not renewing itself. Mm -hmm. Like building a new resort, economic engine. So it's starting now to hear you talk about it make much more sense that Tourists wouldn't necessarily be the group that people are most concerned about. Yeah, right. right. I mean, they, they definitely take have an impact on the, uh, on on our infrastructure, mm-hmm. but we we we've been dealing with that for such a long time that we're built for that infrastructure. Right. And the only thing that's it's going to make it harder for us is how these tourists get from to one one place to another place. Mm-hmm. Um. Oftentimes they rent their own car because there's no other other, other really uh, cons- a reliable mode of, trans- of alternate transportation. Mm-hmm. You know, we're building a rail in Hawaii, which is on Oahu. I should be more specific in Oahu. That's um, you know very contentious because it's been so expensive. Let me let me preface this by saying I don't know if this is like a lie that people trying to sell property in Hawaii, like Hawaiian property to people from the mainland say <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to just get, trick them. I don't know. But I, whether or not it is true or not, I always found it fascinating. 
Um, and I'm kind of thinking that there might be some interesting corollary to how we do things on the mainland too. Um, so my family, we were told at one point, oh, on the island of Kauai, there, the reason there aren't all of the really tall skyscrapers and the hotels that just go up many, many floors is that there was a zoning rule that probably didn't literally say this, but that basically prevented you from building anything taller than the tallest palm tree. And so that doesn't sound like any of those zoning regulations that we read all the time here, but conceptually, and so whether or not it's true, that idea of tying the how how you can build how high to some sort of natural element that I've found that very fascinating because I don't know what you would if you were going to make some rule like that in in Seattle I don't know you know it can't be that it can't be built taller than the tallest Douglas fir or whatever I, it's, it's but it's a cool idea don't you but think like so how do you how do you tie zoning to geography or not, I guess it's not geography, but to the natural world in that way. So first question, is that a thing? I personally do not know. <laughs> but you're not the first, first one to say knows? something yeah. like that. You're definitely not the first person to say that. Like it's been a while since I heard that. But when you say that, I'm like, that makes sense. See, because I like I heard it. And I was like, I feel like you're just lying to me here, but I like it conceptually. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, and there probably maybe for a lot of reasons, Kauai in general is a very, very um, conservative in terms of development um, community and island. They, 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 they were like one of the first to ban plastic bags. They were one of the first to um, ban big box stores. Um, they're really, really all four and together making sure that the country stays country. And that's something that people in Hawaii law always say, like, keep the country country. And then if you're urban, keep it, you know, keep it urban and, you know, stop driving like you're from L.A. <laughs> we say that in Seattle, too. <laughs> so let's switch gears a little bit and yes. talk about design. Yes. Uh, when we first started chatting, when you first started, I don't think I really had a concept of what Hawaiian design is or what I couldn't have drawn a quick sketch. Uh, simple question, probably not as simple as an answer. What is Hawaiian design aesthetic? Um, so I personally can't even answer that question uh, because we're such a unique state that has so many different people and um, visitors, influences throughout like the last, I want to say 200 years, 300 years um, when the first sort of foreigners made contact to the Hawaiian islands that we have a series or almost like layers of like just architectural styles that kind of mishmash with whatever the architects either locally or from like California or the mainland has come to Hawaii and sort of found to be a response to what they do there. A lot of times though, a lot of the architecture is eclectic and they take, pieces from Italian architecture, you know, Italian Romanesque, or they take pieces from China or Japan or missionary and just kind of throw them all together with whatever like materials they have there in Hawaii, which is lava rock, coral rock, um, and some woods. And like, like there's like koa wood is something that a lot of people used. Um, and koa is a native wood. It's a hardwood. It's kind of like almost like an ipe. And it has a beautiful sheen and shine to it. Um, and it's 
it's one of those things that you don't use unless like you really, really, you don't use now because it's basically like it's their native spe- their native plant or tree and um, they're endangered and they take forever to grow. And so, so like the royal palaces have koa everywhere and they're just amazing. So it's, it's really like a high end product. Yeah. That's awesome to think about because I've only ever seen, you know, koa wood as these high end, like jewelry and fancy decorative pieces. Mm -hmm. Thinking of buildings like that. Whoa. I know the, they use the they sometimes they use the material inside of it for like like furniture and stuff. I think they still use it for that, but you know the inside structure of the wood. I think they probably ship that from somewhere from somewhere else, and they just build it. Um. So, but otherwise, it's if without that to like just build like the roof framing. The rest of it is just, um, is just coral rocks, and and, and lava rocks. So, so it has that, you know, that sort of, sort of, um, inspiration from these more larger, mm-hmm. like design styles, but it's sort of changed up for Hawaii and because Hawaii's, um, environment is very humid, tropical, you know, we don't need insulation. And so the lighter you make the building so it can breathe, right. you know, the better it is. And so a lot of the homes when you're growing up, um, depending on which side, where you're at, where you're living, always may have a mildewy smell to it. <laughs> yeah. Like when my mom grew up in Hilo or no, in a town near Hilo yeah. and, you know, I always go back to her house, it was an old plantation house. And yeah, you'd always smell like some mildew because the humidity and like there's no air conditioning and you, you know, if it's hot, you just have to deal with it. And so you kind of learn how to walk in like hot weather. <laughs> Yeah. What are some of Hawaiian's favorite buildings, favorite pieces of architecture? Of course, you know, wherever you go, it depends on who you ask. But in in our in my world, in the architect designer's world, um, buildings designed by by Vladimir Osipov is uh, are, are buildings that people usually love mm-hmm. and they tried their best to keep and maintain. And also um, projects by C.W. Dickey. Um, he sort of um, created this dicky roof, which is like a, like a double, a double gabled roof, and um, or double pitched roof. Sorry, and th- those, are, yeah. Oh, okay. So th- th- these are like the the, the two architects, um, among others that I, you know, I'm pr- probably can't think of right now, that people don't really know the architect's name, but they do know the building. You know, like there's the IBM building that um, despite it being in the center of this huge redevelopment, everyone in the community just said, keep this building because um, it's it's so unique. Even though it looks dated, the the the, the screen on it is just this prefabbed concrete it is something that's very kind of iconic in the area. Mm-hmm. And even though when the buildings first came up, people didn't really care for it or just like whatever, it's just a building. You know, they've grown to sort of love it and sort of say, hey, that's the IBM building. And they don't know what's in there now, but it's it was the IBM building. So is there a, a design review process that involves aesthetics or is it all zoning based in Hawaii? It depends on the type of project and the size and scale. Um, most projects I, I've, I've worked with in Hawaii, like you know, libraries, um, you know, there's some neighborhood community meetings. They talk about sort of design, but there's no real design review board. But... 
Um, if you're building in certain areas that have a special design district, then some more scrutiny would come in and some more, more meetings would be required. Um, so special design districts would be Waikiki, um, Chinatown. Um, I think the Punchbowl district uh, where the, um, I think the World War One or Two Memorial um, Cemetery is. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a few other places that require some, you know, a, a sort of sense of design review. Um, but the design review itself is, you know, they, they look at um, the orientation of the building, making sure that there is a Mauka to Makai orientation, meaning ocean to mountain orientation. Oh, interesting. Um, they, I think everyone in Hawaii in terms of sort of sense of place and orientation, um, they really want to be able to see the mountains and the ocean. And so to your point earlier that we talked about off, you know, off recording, the that the way we figure out direction, you know, or we tell people directions is we, we say, oh, if you go down this road, you know, Malka of that or Makai of that, you'll see it there. You know, like it's one of those things. So you immediately know always where the ocean is and where the mountain is because we're an island, generally a circle. There's a mountain on one side and there's an ocean on the other side. You more or less know where you're at. I love I love that concept of ocean versus water because it doesn't work here. But if you're trying to be too linear about it, you're like, oh, but now I'm but now ocean means north and this you know earlier ocean meant south. And so mm-hmm. you, you can't you just have to let go of your let go of your preconceived notions. But I suspect that the way that my mind builds maps of where I go places is not very logical in terms of literally what is the case right (laughs) Right. and so when you when you toss in there that that the orientation system is ocean versus mountain that makes sense to me a ton and it suits my if you were to print out the map i have of seattle in my mind of how i get around it probably doesn't look remotely like seattle at all it's just sort of oh yeah you know, and so so that concept of just relative places of, of of knowing where you are relative to other aspects without having a very good ability to maybe draw it as a map, it, it appeals to me. I like it. Yeah, there there seem to be a lot of similarities in hearing you talk um, about the connection to nature and architecture. It's not the same as the Seattle version. <laughs> I actually, I wonder if it's more complex here. That's a question, not a statement. If it's more complex here than it is there. Um, but uh, coming from the East Coast to here, and maybe you might have experienced this too a little bit in Atlanta, there is no real, like, your orientation to a highway <laughs> is something that's talked about, but whether or not you're near a river or not, whether or not you're near even the border of a state, like the roads are the geography. Whereas in Seattle, the geography is the geography. And certainly almost what seems like in a really pure version in Hawaii, the geography is the geography. Mm-hmm. Like a, we might be somewhere maybe in the Pacific Northwest, we're somewhere in between. I know you've only been here for a couple months, but what have those types of differences been like in seeing the different ways in which Hawaiians are connected to nature versus the way in which Seattleites and Pacific Northwesterners are? I know that's kind of a loaded question. I'm just curious if you've had a chance to start observing those similarities and differences. What we talk about a lot on these podcasts is how what is so unique about Seattle versus other American cities. 
Hawaii aside, uh, is how connected we are to nature, even though we focus on the city so much that mm-hmm. if Rainier's not out, we're all bummed about it. And if we if our trails get crowded, we get annoyed, even though we spend most of our time talking about bars and restaurants. <laughs> so there's a connection to nature. But if I have a feeling or I'm guessing a very, very different one than you might have on Hawaii or maybe not. And so I'm, I'm curious people talk about trails more than they hike. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the yeah. sense of ownership, right? Yes. So yes, I haven't literally made my way out of the city onto a trail in the mountains in way too long. <laughs> right. But I still, as a local Seattle dweller, feel that there is a sense of ownership and respect that I have for the fact that those trails mm-hmm. are out there. Right. Even though I don't get there. Okay. And so it's like, is it like that? Like oh, yeah. you have this ownership Absolutely. of like, yeah, the, the beautiful beaches and the beautiful mountains and the volcanoes and all this stuff Absolutely. that you have ownership, even if you don't. Living living in Hawaii, you definitely have ownership of everything there. Um, we understand and we are, especially if you leave Hawaii or you, you can go and travel somewhere and come back, you realize how special Hawaii is. And so we have a deep connection to um, the environment that we're in. We realize the perilous situation that we're in, that we're on an island 25,000 miles away from anything else. And so we know it's just us. And so we just have to, you know, be family and be connected to each other. Um, But we definitely have a responsibility to the the land and the water. And um, oftentimes when growing up, you know, you walk around and, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom and you're on a trail... You know, we, you know, my family would always say, oh, you know, make sure you if you're anywhere near an area that possibly could be like where Native Hawaiians were buried or could have been buried. You you, you say, I, I apologize. We need to go. You sort of like make your own sort of thing to your God, like to to, oh, to wow. that, to the yeah. spirits and be like, I'm sorry, I apologize. You know, so there's this That's very incredible. kind of like training that you do or not training, but just sort of like upbringing that you have that you respect, you know, the people that came before you um, that you. um you know, if you see trash or if you are out there doing stuff and you make trash, you pick it up, you make it clean. You know, it's better. It's like the, the campsite rule. You know, you, you make sure, it sure. better than it was when you first got there. Um, there's really that sense. And a lot of people coming in um, don't have that sort of knowledge. And so like a lot of locals really get pissed off. Does that sound familiar? Oh, yes. I get mad at people just conceptually tossing their trash out in the mountains. I don't even know they're doing it because I haven't gotten out there in a while. (laughs) 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 But we have our ownership. We definitely, even though we don't go to it every day, we definitely have ownership of our beaches and, um, you know, the trails definitely. The trails are are not so much sort of like an issue when it comes to sort of being crowded. Like all the tourists go to Diamond Head. And then if locals can basically tell you like five or six or 10 different trails that like people don't really go to that are just amazing. You drive up a ridge and then there's a trail usually always. And then within like 10, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All eight of our listeners are going to be writing this down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have amazing views of, of urban Honolulu and like all the way to the other side of the island. A lot of people go there because it's always, it's always touted. Um, I think the biggest issue and with with tourism, you know, is is when the buses, the tourist buses, take people and tourists to those hidden places. Yeah. Oh, I, see. I mean, a lot of that changed when Obama, you know, being from grew up in being you know, growing up in Hawaii, mm-hmm. you know, always spent his time in Kailua, 
And now we have buses just coming in constantly to like to all these beaches in Hawaii. We go to the beach, you know, it's not too crowded. It's very, very chill. Everyone has like a good like 15 square feet, you know, of really good, mm-hmm. really good space because there's so many beaches, so many options. Um, and it's white sand. The, the, the water is just absolutely clean and clear. And when you go to the mainland, the water is dark and murky sometimes. <laughs> and, Don't know what you're talking about. Wait. <laughs> and um, and it's just, and and um, and the amount of space you have is basically like a postage stamp, right? And that's what kind of what's happening to these some of these beaches. Like you feel like you have all this space, and you don't because there's like people everywhere, and like where are these people are coming from? Yeah, yeah it, it impacts the local neighborhoods because it's just like this specific beach like doesn't have a lot of space for parking. And so they bust them in and all of a sudden all these people are coming in, leaving their trash, thinking like someone's going to pick it up. And it's like, you guys have to like, you know, clean up after yourselves. Just, you know, like everyone has this, uses this beach. The one thing that we have in Hawaii that's very unique that most places don't have is that the people in Hawaii have a right to the ocean or to, to the, the shoreline. Mm. No one can own a shoreline in Hawaii. Yeah, that I love illegal. that. That's that's one of the things that I've always really loved about it, that you can, if you know to look for it as a tourist, mm-hmm. you can just drive anywhere. There's always those access. Yeah, those alleys those that go right to the Those little tiny beach. little alleys that you can access to get out there. That's one of the saddest things nearby where I live here in Seattle, which is south. It's not quite all the way to Seward Park, but when you go down to Lake Washington, there's this beautiful stretch of the drive. And you're right on the lake and everything's beautiful. And then you hit this part uh, that all of a sudden it's just private and you have to go up the hill and all these private homes have the lakefront mm-hmm. to themselves. And it's like this for a while until almost all the way to um, Madison Park, you get nothing. <laughs> it's just and that's it. Wow. That's as close as you can get to the water. And it's just all homes. It's it's that sounds I wish we did that here. <laughs> I wish we had that here. Yeah. I mean, so like for us, back to the, the point of beaches, we don't consider those beaches. Like, I don't know what you would want to call it. You know, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a Eskimo has 20 different ways of describing snow mm-hmm. or even like people in Seattle have different ways of describing rain. That's the one thing about Hawaii too. I mean, just sort of yeah. tying the relations between Seattle and Hawaii is that um, in Hawaii, there's sun every single day. Constantly, there's no seasons. Basically, mm-hmm. like our, our 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 winter is basically when it drops ten <laughs> degrees lower and it's a little more rainy. <laughs> you know, like in the, the that's what that's why so many people from Washington visit Honolulu is because you know they usually visit during the January December time period or February when it's like the worst and you just want to get out of it. You're like, I can't stand this anymore. I want to go to Hawaii. I'm going to like party and relax and sit on the beach and get a tan and make everyone, all my friends jealous when they come back, yeah. you know, I mean, I used to work at, I used to work, um, at a luau, you know, and so I would get all of these tourists coming in, you know, and I'll get to meet where they're from and they're always from California or Washington. Yeah. Hawaii is the West coast go to tropical location for sure. I mean, I, I think some of it is proximity, obviously, right? Like on the East Coast, you go to the Caribbean, right? Because it's just a quick flight down there, and or Mexico, or, or Mexico. DR, I mean, or- but yeah, no, I, I, I think that it, 
it's hard. It's maybe it's not chicken and egg, but I always feel like when I that there's this kind of cultural connection too between the West Coast, the sort of that that classic West Coast mentality mm-hmm. pairs nicely with the Hawaiian island mentality of there's it this, does. there's We're, this chillness, there's this appreciation of the environment, there's a and just a, an acceptance that like. You, you don't have to do things so fast. Like, mm-hmm. you, this is fine. We're just going to hang out and everything mm-hmm. is going to be all right. I think Hawaii modern sort of culture has definitely been influenced by the West Coast. Oftentimes because so many people from the West Coast visit because, you know, the airlines always and the hotels always give great rates for people to come out to Hawaii. You know, we have all these planes coming in. Um, the tourism board probably subsidizes some of it, um, advertises in, on the West Coast often. So you're like, oh, where we should go? Oh, Hawaii. It's tropical. It's not really the United States. It is. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's safe. You know, I don't need a passport. Um, and that's why, like, um, during 9-11, like, we had a downturn for sure. But yeah. it was mostly international. But all the in, all the mainland tourists that were going to go internationally do was, was like screw that we're going to go to Hawaii, yeah. and so that, that that actually kept us reasonably 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 strong um, during that time. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was low, but it was not that bad. Like our rebound was much faster. Um. But yeah, there's definitely a connection and Hawaii definitely has their own time and pace right. to things. Island time. Island time. Yeah. Hawaiian time. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I need more of that in my life right yeah. now. It's like you show up whenever you show up. Yeah. It's fine. It'll be fine. It's all good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be able to adjust. Like, well, it's like the, even there. the concept of the East Coast stresses me out. <laughs> well, it's the whole <laughs> you, other side of the same coin. When you grow up in it, you don't notice it. Yeah. It's just the way it is. And then... Like I am a very punctual person. I I do not show up late to appointments. You know, like, <laughs> I had to because yeah, yes, I show up to work. Yeah, I was like, be like, you're the only one who comes you know, later than me. <laughs> actually, well, yeah, no, I'm, I, I judge when I come in based on whether or not you are here yes. yet. <laughs> like, oh, I got here earlier than Charles today. Oh, it must be. It must be like ten fifteen. <laughs> but we slack later than anybody. Yes. We slack later than anyone. Everybody else is a little gray circles, but you yeah. and me are green yeah. all the time. We're on yeah. there. Damn it. <laughs> I did want to ask one thing is will not it doesn't have to go on the podcast anyway either. But have you seen the um the South Park Hawaii episode? I, I've only seen parts of it, but the I gist of seen a part of it. Yeah, the gist of the episode is it follows this family who owns a timeshare there who talk about their ancestors. And their ancestors' home, which is really just a condemned, like, 1960s resort down the street. Mm -hmm. And they, like, drive by it and tell legends of it. And they have arguments with the tourists about how they're the native Hawaiians. And, like, I just wondered because it's, it's, like... A huge send up of all of the people who own vacation homes in Hawaii Mm -hmm. of the whole thing. I was just curious. Yeah, I I, I never saw it. Yeah, no. (laughs) But I mean, the the, what's great about their humor is like there's always a sliver of truth into all of that. And so when you say that, I'm like, yeah, there there possibly are some people that, you know, definitely feel that way or talk or the talk away. But it's like to a, a much higher level is what they bring it bring forth. 
Like it could have just been like a small story of like someone driving by and like, oh yeah, my family owns this. And if they're a native Hawaiian, it's very true that they're there that his family or her family may have owned that land at one point. Um, and it was either it's either owned or managed by one of the, you know, <clears throat> um, by some some trust, or it was sold off way back when to um, to sell sugar, mm-hmm. and then when sugar and pineapple faded, then it converted into tourism development, commercial mm-hmm. hotel resorts. So you know, but you know, even though those things happened there is still a spiritual tie to these, you know, to the Hawaiian people to that land because, you know, the more they go back, their ancestors are buried there. Mm-hmm. You know, somewhere there, their ancestors are buried there. Like there's a lot of times in Hawaii where developments or condos are happening. And in order for you to, if you dig anywhere in a certain, certain areas, you have to have um, <clears throat> people from the state come in and review and look and make sh- and, and watch you dig because if you hit anything that's could be like a burial spot, yeah, you boom, you have to stop. You have to review it. You have they have to survey it. They have to like grab that, and then they have to put it somewhere else. You know, they have to have a whole process. Yeah. So there's a whole process for this, and this, this this thing they're very serious about it. And <clears throat> you know, it's it's a pain. It's a pain in the butt when you're developing or you're you know doing construction and you hit these things. But you know, it's like you know what this is originally. This is not your land. You know, you have to respect that. And it's just part of doing business in Hawaii. Well, I'm going to ask you one question to wrap up. Hopefully this will be an easy one. Or maybe not. To take your time. Uh, if there was one thing, whether it's an aesthetic, whether it's a philosophy, anything, that you, uh, in your career, architecturally, design-wise, you could bring from Hawaii and, and bring to the Pacific Northwest... That's what would it be? That's such a hard question. <laughs> the only we okay. So the reason why it's a hard question is yeah. because, you know, to our discussion, climate, right? Because the climate. That's a good answer. No, I'm just kidding. Like, uh, yeah, it would be <laughs> wonderful. Answer, we're, we're, we're we're slowly getting there. <laughs> yeah, but, that's actually also true. <laughs> but you know, the 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 designs that sort of evolved in Hawaii are not are never really specific to Hawaii per se. Mm-hmm. Like you have traditional Hawaii Hawaiian architecture, which is what the native Hawaiians would build, which would be thatched huts using lava rocks to create their communities. Um, but there's always these influences coming in. And so there's a there's always this sort of um this in Hawaii there is this huge push probably 10 years ago about this I this sense of place, quote unquote. And you know, when I when I first heard it, I was like, okay, what does that mean? And then you have like panel discussions about it, and you're just like, well, it just it means whatever you want it to mean. Like it's really hard to say or define or put a definition in some sort of Webster dictionary that says this is what Hawaii sense of place is. Because, you know, we're so multicultural, mm-hmm. we're so heavily influenced by, you know, everything around the Pacific Rim. That to define, like in, in a sense, that dichotomy and sort of that blendness, blending mm-hmm. is sort of our sense of place. Like we are multicultural. We are, um, we are a mishmash of all these different people and things. And in a lot, of, a lot for a lot of people, you know, in their mind, they're like, this is like the future of the world in a sense. 
And it's partially why we have pride in the fact that Obama came from Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Because when he came back, he knew exactly how to interact and engage with us because he grew up here. He understood our... Um, our, our sensitivities to cultural sort of identity, but also respected at the same time. This like like sensitive, respected, but also we know enough to know that we can make have fun with each other and mm -hmm. not worry about it. Like it's, it's like whatever, it's fine. Like yeah. like we we're living in this environment, you know, we're all here, we all love each other. You know, it's it's one of those things. And so to bring something from Hawaii here would be maybe maybe would be that it wouldn't be an architectural thing it'd no, be sort I, of like a con, like a like a concept or an, the idea of um just architectural plurality and i think that's something that um everyone can appreciate and find their own sort of unique inspirations in i think that's actually really profound i think the pacific northwest could learn a lot the contiguous 48 or whatever <laughs> and the mainland call it the mainland yeah. i don't know why i call it the contiguous you're making 48. I watched yourself too much sound carmen like you don't <laughs> uh, when i was a kid carmen san diego remember that <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yes but anyway, my point was i think there there are like 12 different points that you just made that we could all learn to be a little more fluid and a little more accepting and uh I think those are, those are great lessons that we could learn. I hope we are lucky enough that you would teach us. Thank you very much for joining us, Chris. I really appreciate you making the time. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for being here, Chris. Our uh, next night school event is coming up on uh, Wednesday, November 15th. It will focus on community design, which I think actually will dovetail with the show pretty well. So please keep a lookout on our website for that. Uh, it will be held here at Board and Vellum on 15th Avenue in Capitol Hill. As always, please stop by anytime and chat with us. We would love to have you. Thank you again, and we will see you all in two weeks.